I'm Roman Mars, host of 99% Invisible. I'm excited to be teaming up with Lexus GX and SiriusXM on some very special 99PI episodes. We're heading to some of the cities in the U.S. that have special meaning for me and exploring the ways that these cities marry form and function. To learn more about the Lexus GX and SiriusXM and Lexus vehicles, visit Lexus.com slash GX and SiriusXM.com slash Lexus trial. The all-new Lexus GX. Live up to it. Check out the 99% Invisible feed now and listen to these special episodes. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com/activecash. What ho, adventurers! Are you a tiny hairless boy? Oh, have I got a quest for you, you I, tiny boy? I'm a frit mom. Take the blade, child. <laughs> this guy's clearly wearing a fake wizard's beard. It's dangerous to, 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 to go alone. Now, mom. Take the blade. Mom, do you have Sunny D? The octopuses shoot rocks at you. You only have purple stuff. Kill the pig. Save the girl. I'm pretty sure. Yes, I'm. I'm certain this this man wants to molest me. Do you have the recorder? <laughs> Play me a tune on the recorder. Uh, I am the wizard, Jake Young. And I'm the bruiser, Holden McNeely. And you better watch out, because we're in the schoolyard right now, and I got a fistful of rocks. <laughs> um, today we're talking about, if that music didn't tip you off pretty clearly, uh, Zelda the early years. Jake... I love Zelda, um, and and I cherish it, and I have a, a deep and and um, intricate history with this game series. How about yourself? I this might be my favorite game series of all time, or if not like number one, the most consistently present and and good series. I have nothing but pleasant memories. Uh, Ocarina of Time was a breakout moment for me as a kid. Uh, Ooh, I rented the N64 from the Blockbuster. Ooh, that's a power move. God damn, it was so oh, good. You... Just to play that fucking game, man. And Pilot Wings, which was okay. And uh, <laughs> it's it's been this this innovator, this presence in gaming, uh, in the evolution of gaming, kind of every single step in the, in the growth and the technological progress of video games. Legend of Zelda was like right there innovating in ways uh, in terms of gameplay and mechanics and graphics and everything like that. Uh, Absolutely. And I mean, in, in a personal level, I remember my next door neighbors, the Fields, mm -hmm. they had a Nintendo. I did not. Uh, my parents forbid it. They said it had witch magic inside of it. Uh, that, they just hated Asians. That's what it was. <laughs> they did disliked Asian people. They said, you know, Pearl Harbor and all that. So Those sandal-wearing goldfish tenders? <laughs> not my boy. <laughs> Um, no, 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 but we just didn't have a system at that point. Um, they were pretty expensive. My next-door neighbors had an NES, and they had uh, they had Legend of Zelda. And I remember going over to their house, and they pulled this map out. 
and it like blew my mind. It was and, and they had markings all over it, and they had been taking notes. And I watched this game unfold in front of me, and I couldn't believe it. The secrets, the fact that like literally you needed a map to play this game, like it was so big and sprawling and nuts. It was like nothing I'd ever seen before. And it really, uh, I think, might be the thing that got me intensely into video games. I think the original Legend of Zelda for Nintendo did that for me gave me this passion I have today. Um, another thing that like that sets it apart that makes it like really stand out as this 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 kind of paradigm changing property is it was action role playing. It yes. was an action adventure because up until that point we kind of talked about this in uh, the Dungeons and Dragons episode. Uh, the adventure as a genre in terms of gameplay was still about numbers and math and dice rolls because you know how do you gauge someone's options and abilities outside of uh, outside of a kind of very regimented system and what legend of zelda kind of did differently was you are wa- like you want to go somewhere you walk there you want to attack something you attack it can and your limitations weren't based on like your level per se it was based on just what tools you had on hand it gave you an amount of agency and freedom and immediacy that was unheard of in gaming before that i think uh the previous graphical adventure that broke people's minds was the atari adventure which was it's that's the Atari game that everyone uh, makes fun of because your character is literally a square and you have to like just move your square around mazes while a dragon that looks like a fucked up duck. <laughs> just Google fucked up duck dragon Atari and you'll know what I'm talking about. Uh, and, you know, text adventure games where you have to say like walk east. Yeah, yeah. Open mailbox. There's nothing in mailbox. Close mailbox. Walk into into house. Monster kills you. Push door. I do not know push. <laughs> Open, Open door. door. Monster kills you. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but this was, yeah. Uh, okay, so Shigeru, Shigeru Miyamoto, of course, uh, the lord god of video games, mm-hmm. um, Mr. Nintendo, we like to call him here. Uh, he actually referred to it as a miniature garden that they can put inside their drawer. Right. Uh, <laughs> th- yeah, this is the story. It's it's almost, it's. I, it feels weird even having to say this out loud, but Shigeru Miyamoto was influenced by his childhood in Kyoto where <laughs> he explored the woods in his free time and stumbled upon caverns and like would openly explore them as a young kid and that le- that that level of uncertainty and exploration and discovery and having to ra- rely on tools to further his progress is what influenced the core elements of the legend of zelda he said when i was a child i went hiking and found a lake it was quite a surprise for me to stumble upon it. When I traveled around the country without a map, trying to find my way, stumbling on amazing things as I went, I realized how it felt to go on an adventure like this. And you know he grew up in Japan, because if you tried that shit in Australia, a spider would eat your dick off. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, he, he wanted to... Um, well, really, Zelda was almost a reaction to another game he was creating at the exact same time, which is kind of fucking mind-blowing that these two games mm. were being made at the same time. But that game, of course, Super Mario Brothers, incredibly linear, side-scrolling, very much about... Now, another thing you have to realize, too, why Zelda and Super Mario Brothers are so such incredible innova- innovations in gameplay... Oh, they came out for two different systems. 
Oh, well, yeah. I mean, what I was going to say is that for the most part, a lot of games out uh, out there, the gaming landscape was about the high score. Mm. Less so about sort of what Zelda and Super Mario Brothers were, were for his focus, were about completing a game, changing it to being like beating bosses, getting to that end screen. That was what the game was all about, as opposed to sort of just an endless kind of uh, high score for bragging rights a la Donkey Kong or Galactica or any of games like those. Uh, game's over, Dig Dug. We like narrative now, you ass. <laughs> so Zelda was um, uh, a reaction to essentially Super Mario Brothers, which is very linear. He wanted to create, um, of course, a phrase we all know at this point, if you're a gamer type uh, of person, is the concept of the open world. The idea that you can go anywhere in this world from the moment you sort of pop out into it and explore and just discover things on your own. I remember that being such a mind-blowing concept when I first went to the Fields house back in, you know, that must have been 90, 91, whatever it was, uh, uh, was the idea that I was like, wait, wait, there are, there's an order to these dungeons, but you could totally beat dungeon three and then dungeon one if you wanted to, and there's just sort of like, they're all just there for you to go find them. Um, well, wait, how do I find this thing? Oh, you systemically try and burn every bush in every screen <laughs> in the entire game until one of them reveals a staircase. <laughs> Have fun! <laughs> and, and it was just so brilliantly conceived, and it was really the first time I had experienced anything like that, because I was so used to you know, like um, just teachers being like, do this and go there. And if you don't, I'll just, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll pants you in front of Martha. And Martha's like, naughty, naughty. Um, whereas opposed to this, we're like, no one was being mean to me. You know what I'm saying? And I got to explore things. Uh, it also, I mean, th- besides the bigger concepts, the game played great. Like swinging your sword felt good. Yeah. Hold, using the little magic shot, blocking stuff with your shield. And uh, my personal favorite, uh, number one item in all of the Zelda series, my boomerang. Yeah. Throw that boomerang. Now you're frozen. Now I can just waddle up to you and stab you to death like a good 10-year-old. <laughs> Link is canonically is 10 years old in the first Zelda game. And I love that when you had full hearts, your your sword would shoot out. Uh, you know. Yeah. It's like the best. And those sound Super effects. Super producer Marcus Parks and Foley Art is sitting in with us. How you doing? <laughs> That's right, Marcus. <laughs> Bit of a goblin today. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, it, it sort of was was it was brought to the fold. Um, well, you were mentioning it came out for two systems, so we should probably talk about that for for a hot second. Um, you're talking about the family computer's disk system, of course, the family computer disk system. <laughs> Uh, believe it or not, uh, Miyamoto was actually considering the, fir- the literally the first Super Mario Brothers to be the end of the NES as they were shifting to the uh, family computer disk system. Mm, uh, great name for a fun home system. <laughs> if you don't under- uh, if you don't know the difference between different uh, memory technologies, uh, the NES, like we know it in the original uh, Famicom, used cartridges which had a uh, kind of a volatile memory on a chip which was incredibly hard to produce and you couldn't write any new information onto it that's why you had to use password systems and stuff so it was expensive uh they were prone to shortages and uh it was just in general just this very costly system but it was the best way to avoid piracy and control the uh control the output to avoid like that horrifying early 80s atari gloat of bullshit 
Bloat, not gloat. Whatever. Or glut. Glut. I think you combine glut with bloat. That's I'm, pretty cool, actually. I'm feeling like real gloaty. Real. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the disc system used what was essentially floppy disks. Again, uh, I'm so old. Floppy disks are <laughs> the things that you, like, you know when you hit save on a document and it's that weird rectangle you don't recognize? You just, it's a, just look it up. <laughs> I mean, come on. What do you live in? You well, can't always live in the future, kids. I mean, technically, the one that you click on, that's a 3.5 millimeter floppy mm. disk. The five, mil- the 5 floppy disk is actually well, the Music one. didn't used to just exist in a box. <laughs> you had to go out. You had to listen to it and buy records. You, 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 you damn brats. Tune in next week on Wizard of the Bruiser when we cover hitting a hoop with a stick. <laughs> uh, the disk system used a, floppy, a proprietary type of floppy drive that Nintendo was pushing real hard because the memory capacity was bigger and you could uh, rewrite the discs and everything about it was cheaper. And amazing, you could save, which meant that these wide open uh, narrative-based and lengthier games could be reasonably completed without any sort of awkward password system. Mm. And a lot of the games that we enjoyed in America on the NES were actually uh, disc system games that uh, you know uh, had to be uh, kind of hacked back into cartridge shape with like battery saves and all this other technology and it kept the price up but whatever that's for another time what were you gonna do but uh the legend of zelda was the bold new uh game of uh adventure and progress and saving and super mario brothers was like a throwback to the old arcade fun and jump style before they had to abandon it and so uh it was originally released in japan in february of 1986 um, and then it came out um, not too long after uh, on the NES in America. It went on to sell uh, 6.5 million copies. That's huge. That is huge. And for those of you who don't know, you ooh, I'm getting mad at you kids. It was a gold cartridge, which yeah. was very fucking cool. Right, right, Marcus? Oh, I loved it. It's like <laughs> something about that. It was like I had a treasure, and I remember. Yeah. So eventually I was able to borrow the field's Nintendo in order to play Zelda. I have, like, weird Nintendo Zelda luck, by the way. I have this bizarre situation where if I don't currently own a Nintendo system, I will somehow end up being able to borrow an entire system from somebody just to play the new Zelda game. It's how I played, like, most of them, including um, Wind Waker and some other ones like that. Just somebody will eventually just say, here, would you like to borrow my entire gaming system and this game so you can play it? I don't know what it is. Great Zelda luck. Either way, I borrowed that game, and I remember when I received that gold cartridge, it was like I, I earned a treasure. Yeah. And it was like the game itself. And you put the thing in, and, and uh, you know, and, and, and again, like, I know I kind of hit on this earlier, but the, like, I, I'm not sure how prevalent this was in other games. But I know that it was one of the amazing things about Zelda was just the le- level of secrets, mm-hmm. the the amount of shit you could find in Zelda, the the amount of unexplored. But what? But you could do this, and you could do this, and if you walk down five times uh, in in the in the thing, you'll you'll find a new thing. And if you you know if you blow the whistle here, some crazy you know the 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 lake will dry up, and you know there was just so many little tricks and and so many and of course the NPCs in the game are saying the weirdest shit oh, ever. Oh, God. And Having to actually... So, the part of the game that they made on purpose, they tested this a bunch, and, like, uh, one of the earliest changes they made was uh, ins- they took away your sword at the beginning, so you knew you had to seek out caves and, like, talk to NPCs to discover secrets and get clues to solve puzzles. A great, simple way to introduce a mechanic. Yeah. Right? 
Um, but it was built into the game that uh, the that instead of like having a, bl- like a huge manual, which was again another throwback to the old numbers based. Uh, adventure game kind of uh, rule set. Uh, it no, just talk to your friends. Like, if did someone figure out a thing like randomly in the dead of night? Like, tell all your buddies. Like, it was a socially solved yes. game. And that was the thing with the map and the notes from my neighbor's house. Was there was so much sort of trading of information and and like, oh, but you don't know this. And and it kind of led to a whole uh, uh, thing. So if you purchased the game and sent in a warranty card, you became a member of the Fun Club, um, and those members would get a little newsletter. Well, eventually, uh, and then there were- Shigeru Miyamoto would come to their house in the middle of the night and beat them with a bar of soap. <laughs> Such a, that is like one of the, I think one of the most like specifically translated from Japanese things about Nintendo. It's like, oh, fun club. Fun club. <laughs> Do you like to be part of the fun club? Um, so anyways, uh, in, in early 1988, there were over a million fun club members, which led to the then Nintendo of America president, uh, Minoru Arakawa, to start the Nintendo Power Magazine. So that's where it kind of came from, was this sort of secret trading. There, of course, was a hotline as well that you could call in in order to get tips from people, which I love. Before the internet, you you actually had to call the tip hotline and talk to a human being and be like, I can't get past this boss, which I never did that personally. But oh, no, just, it costs like a bajillion dollars a minute. It was a right. 900 number. Exactly. My parents would, my parents have never laid a hand on me. They've been nothing but supportive <laughs> and like kind and they would punch my teeth out if I was like, oh, I figured out how to get the ice cream in Metroid. It only costs 48 bucks. <laughs> and I, I wanted to talk about a couple more things just about the approach that Nintendo and Miyamoto has uh, to their games. Mainly, as we talked about, he was heavily inspired by his explorations. You know, um, there was one story told about how he found a cave when he was exploring, and throughout the course of a week, he had to build up the courage to enter the cave, and he finally did, and it felt so great, and he wanted to still that in a game that was definitely a big inspiration for um for zelda but also they had a general philosophy uh they didn't have test groups and it was really important that uh he made games miyamoto made games that he personally truly loved and that he uh would then share that game with his friends and make sure that really just him and the people around him uh truly truly like loved this game and 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 really cut out sort of you know and and i think that has been such a theme of this show and it's like if i could just try to nail that into the heads of like money people if any money people listen to this show like as soon as you let people make the thing that they love great things can happen Mm -hmm. um and and you know uh i just want to i just want to make sure that we don't put all the praise and credit oh, yes. to Miyamoto because there's also uh, Takeshi Tezuka. Just about to mention 1010 Takeshi. himself, mm-hmm. uh, who is very much, even to this day, a much more private uh, yes. uh, person. He's uh, in interviews. He's very cagey and kind of just like goes along with the company line. He is referred to Miyamoto as his senpai. So like he's clearly... Like looks up to Miyamoto, but he had a huge role in Wrote the story and script with for the story and the script mm-hmm. and uh, games that he took more of a lead on are some of the most beloved ones, mm-hmm. like kind of the the ones that Zelda fans truly love. Like uh, Link's Awakening had way more influence from him than Miyamoto and had a much more like fun and dynamic style. It's so that, good. Uh, and of course, Koji Kondo the uh, did the music. These yes, amazing themes. Uh, one of the things that makes Legend of Zelda 
uh, unique is that it was part of a new style of developing games where you had specialization and people dealing with specific tasks. So uh, you had art directors and you had designers and you had planners and you had programmers and everybody could just work from their peak. Uh, uh, First, I thought you were going to say penis there for a second, but keep going. I mean... Listen, you want to make a good game, you got to you gotta fucking program from the tip of your dick to the bottom of the ball. Jake calls me at 3 in the morning and tells me this, Monday, Thursdays, and on Sundays. Bottom of the balls, Holden. Bottom of the balls. Um, one great thing about Koji Kondo, or, or just to give you an idea of some of the other things he worked on. Well, first of all, he... He was studying at Osaka University in the art planning department uh, at Osaka University of Arts. He wasn't he, never classically trained. Mm. He just liked to mess around with his piano with the assistance of I his I thought you computer. were going to also say penis. I did, yeah, right? <laughs> we're getting there. There's a lot of penis talk in the later half when we get to um, uh, Link to the Past. There's a ton of penises involved in that. Uh, but, uh, yeah, he uh, during his senior year, uh, Nintendo sent a little, like, recruitment message, and he applied for the job, didn't even send him a fucking demo tape got the job went on to his first job he made the music for punch out mm-hmm. iconic as shit he he composed the music for super mario brothers he did link to the past he's literally been like the lead composer on like all all the most memorable video game music mm-hmm. you've ever heard this one fucking dude did it koji kondo so uh big props to him i was i loved learning a little bit about him today uh, it's a this is a weird piece of uh, trivia that uh, comes up a lot in Zelda history is the uh, iconic theme for Legend of Zelda. You know, do 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 We're doing the whole thing, guys. Buckle it. Father, <laughs> I'm sorry. It just happens to me sometimes. Uh, that was created in a improvised, like kind of rush, because he found Ko- Koji Kondo found out that he was denied uh, the rights to the uh, uh, classical music piece Bolero. Yes, which is like na 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 na. You know that one. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, Memories <laughs> like the color of the like, cats. No, okay. definitely not cats. <laughs> Sorry. Tinker Winkle. <laughs> what is it? What's that gotta, awful song? Got to save that for. I uh, remember when I was a little kid, my parents took me to see cats, and that song came on, and I was just like, "This is not good." Our this April Fool's bad. episode is going to be about cats. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it needs to be. Um. But anyways, uh, I'm sorry, you were saying, oh, yeah, it was Bolero, yeah, yeah, originally, and he couldn't get the rights to it, right? It, it, it's, it was a it later classical piece. It wasn't quite old enough Yeah, mm-hmm, to, in order to get the rights to it. He just created his own sort of version, and uh, I would say it's probably more well-known to listeners now than Bolero. Uh, more weird facts about The Legend of Zelda that not a lot of people realize is sure. uh, all the dungeons uh, have specific names and are shaped after various uh, – or have very specific shaped designs. There's like a snake dungeon and a bird dungeon and uh, uh, a swastika dungeon. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> no, no, no. The cool swastika? You know, when people are like, no, man, no worry. It's the cool swastika. <laughs> See, it's turned the other way. Still weird. Still in the game. Uh, and, of course, if you uh, beat the game, you have the uh, second quest, yes. which they added because they just had some extra memory around. Oh, so good. You can access the second quest early by making your name 
Zelda. Zelda. And and um, Zelda, by the way, was uh, based off of Zelda from F. F. Scott Fitzgerald's uh, life. wife. <laughs> yeah, from his life. Uh, Miyamoto felt that that name sounded pleasant and significant. But anyways, yeah, the and idea. The, oh, and the, uh, the, the confusion where it's like, uh, wait, the boy is not named Zelda? It's because... The story of Little Red Riding Hood isn't about the huntsman. The story of Sleeping Beauty isn't about the prince. So the legend of Zelda is about the maiden that was kidnapped. And Link and the Fairy are based off of Peter Pan and Tinkerbell. Uh, it was designed as a coming-of-age motif for players to identify with who, uh, because he starts as an ordinary boy and then slowly works his way up you know, with the different items and things. Still hairless, no matter how strong. Absolutely. And I wanted to go back to Tetsuka. Tetsuka? Uh, Takeshi Tezuka? I just want to say Tetsuka because it sounds like an Akira thing. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, he, I, I really enjoyed this quote from him. He said, "I've about making games." He said, "I've never consciously separated casual users and hardcore gamers when I design a game. For the past twenty years, I have always been trying to make games so that anyone, as many people as possible, can enjoy them. I cannot help but say that I love my job of making games from the bottom of my heart." And he most recently made uh, directed Super Mario Run, so he is like heavy in the game. Now- if that statement uh, just made you angry, <laughs> fucking chill out. <laughs> um, um, my, I, my girlfriend likes to play it. All right, uh, what, what was I going to say, too? Oh, just that I read some weird stuff about Miyamoto, like, playing the game on his offhand to try to get into the mindset of uh, somebody who, like, never plays video games. Mm-hmm. So he's like, switch it to your, switch the controller to your offhand, which I don't, I play with two hands, so I don't understand what he's talking about. Maybe he, like, plays it with, I don't know what he does. But, in other words, he's implying, he's he's trying to employ techniques on his own without test groups in order to, see like, approach the game from as a, as a person who knows nothing about games or does not play games normally. Um, um, one last thing about Legend of Zelda before we move on. We have, of course, more stuff. There's this really cool speedrunning technique that they recently found with the mm-hmm. item drops. Just to give you an idea of secrets hidden so deep within the game that we're still finding new things about Legend of Zelda and the and the Zelda series. So in this game, if you kill eight enemies and don't take a hit, on the eighth enemy, if you hit them with a bomb, they will drop a bomb. And you can manipulate... The different items that they drop. If you don't kill them with a bomb, they'll drop a blue coin, a blue rupee, I mm-hmm. believe, which is a five, five, five uh, coin rupee. Um, and then on the sixteenth enemy, if again you can, you have to not take a hit. You get a fairy. So it's like there's so much item manipulation that can happen now. And if you watch somebody speedrun, which I highly recommend mm-hmm. watching someone speedrun Legend of Zelda, especially on an awesome games done quick a year or so ago, a guy did both the OG quest and and the new game plus quest in one run oh, and wow. it's fucking so cool to watch and he employs tactics that all revolve around the bomb and did, the fairy did they do that weird thing where like if link like shuffles on one side of the screen he can just kind of teleport to the other side oh tons uh, yeah all I didn't even sorts know that was of thing. crazy manipulation and uh, to that game it's so much fun to watch so anyways uh, i think Legend that's of Zelda 2 the adventures of link yes it was okay moving on <laughs> <laughs> it came out like in the same year as Essentially, I mean, for the American audiences, like, we were behind. Yes. So, like, by the time we had Nintendos, they were both out at the same time. 
Zelda 2, there was like a weird thing going on with Nintendo games back then where the sequel always had to be like this bizarre departure. I'm specifically noting uh, Castlevania 2. And Mario 2. And Mario 2. So well, Mario 2 is a whole different thing. That was just a completely different game reskin. Mm-hmm. Doki Doki Panic. <laughs> <laughs> Still my favorite Mario game. Well, what's fun about that too is Zelda 2, um, uh, well, first of all, Miyamoto intended to make a very different game. He got a different team together and a lot of ways he still had uh takashi there but he got this other guy sugiyama for for whom this was his first project he's king of the weird sequel Mm. he he was um i believe he wrote on it i don't have his exact title here but uh i love this he also did super mario brothers 2 he did F-Zero X. He did Wind Waker. He did Star Fox 64. These are all like the weird sequels to the franchise that are like this is weirdly different and kind of like probably not as good, but, you know, you we You shut tried. your mouth about Star Fox 64. <laughs> we will have a man slap fight. All right, we have to stop the recording so Jake and I can go wrestle on the ground. I apologize. <laughs> all right, we're back from that. Okay. Oh. Oh, that was brutal. Uh, I got slapped 17 times, and <laughs> I could Disgusting the watch. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I was so... I just had a lot of fluids today. <laughs> Zelda 2 was weird. Really weird. It's like the one Zelda I haven't beaten besides the guy where Sword actually... I owned it and that. never beat it. I tried. It's hard as shit. Um, it, it had EXP... It had side scrolling, which did come back in Link's Awakening a little bit. It comes uh, side scrolling has come back a little bit, but not like, in the same way. Not at all. The, I mean, uh, it's. I think it was Final Fantasy and Dragon Quest, like kind of uh, made the number based RPG back. Like it kind of uh-huh. brought it back, and uh, people still wanted like big, cool sprites and like good graphics, which you couldn't really do from an overhead perspective. So they wanted like big action while also bringing in all this, like, math and grinding into everything because there's random encounters on the overworld map and you have to level up to get more magic meter and, I mean... Well, and, and There's villages. Speaking like, of, yeah. ma- you know, there were things that they kept. The magic meter continued. Um, mo- most importantly, the Dark Link character made his first appearance, and mm, he's pretty that iconic. That fight is so annoying and brutal. Oh, my God, yes. Um, it, it has, like, a level of, like, Dark Souls kind of combat because yes. each character, each an enemy type has, like, tells, and you have to, like, aim high or low, and you can't overcommit to... Mm. You can't just, like, bash your way through a lot of this game. It's very deliberate. Yes. And I think that was it to my, like, tiny, addled brain. I just couldn't... I didn't have the patience. Oh, uh, I mean, try to play it again now. It's... You're not gonna... You know, I had a, no, I, I want to talk to my old friends, Error and Bagu. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I had a roommate that was trying, that was just killing himself trying to beat this game not too long ago. Um, back when I had roommates, uh, it was also the first time the Triforce of Courage made an appearance. So we should say, in the first game, the only two Triforces are Ganon stole the Triforce of Power. Mm-hmm. Ganon, of course, the big pig-faced man mm-hmm. monster, the main villain of the show of the uh, of the whole thing, and then. Um, uh, Zelda hid in eight different pieces, right? The Triforce of Wisdom, and that was like her Triforce, and then the Triforce of Courage, which was Link's Triforce, was introduced in Zelda 2, actually. I Link's mean, Revenge. Before that, it was just the Biforce. Yeah, it was just the Biforce at that point, which was weird, and then it was like a whole thing, and then everybody was coming out as Biforce, <laughs> and it was like, oh, what are we going to do about the bathrooms? And then it was like, they introduced bathrooms, of course, and Link to the Past. Um, it was also- Social commentary, didn't see that coming. <laughs> we also, um, the towns in, in uh, 
Zelda 2 were uh, Rauru, Ruto, Saria, Naburu, and Darunia. Which is actually, if you, uh, those are all names that come into play a yes. lot later in the yes. series. Yes, in Ocarina of Time, those become the names of the sages. Mm-hmm. And, okay, I mean, I can't even begin to get into the whole timeline thing. There's a historian the that came line. out. Fuck that timeline. Split it and everything. But Fuck either it. way, Fuck Z- Zelda 2, what's hilarious is Zelda 2 is actually like the most current time-wise in the whole thing or whatever. Um, in terms of, because Link to the Past is a prequel. And um, so, essentially, like, all of those towns are, like, named after the sages mm. because the sages happened technically in the past, in the timeline. Uh, have you looked at the timeline, Marcus? I haven't. There's a—it's a, a nightmare. It splits off into three different timelines. Essentially, like, for no reason uh, I, that I understand, Zelda— or Nintendo was like, okay, here's the timeline, and it's it's just baffling. That it's like it's like it, 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 there's three different names for each different timeline. Mm-hmm. Look it up, and there's also a whole book dedicated to it called Hyrule Historia. Um, I have looked through the book. The book is actually a lot of fun. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, anyways, so it did introduce some cool things, and man, it sold four four point three eight copies. Yeah, that's a million thing is, copies. People call it the the black sheep of the series, but it did just peachy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It did fantastic. Okay, yeah, I see this. Yeah, it goes Skyward Sword, then the Minish Cap, then Four Swords, then Ocarina of Time, and then from Ocarina of Time, that splits off into three timelines. Yes. And the one that we all know, like A Link to the Past, Link's Awakening, Legend of Zelda, Adventure of Link, that's what's called the Failure Timeline. Okay. And then there's the Child Timeline, which is Majora's Mask, yes. Twilight Princess, and the Four Sword Adventures. And then there's the Adult Timeline, which is Wind Waker, Phantom Hourglass, and... Street Attackers? Spirit Tracks. Spirit Spirit Tracks! That's a DS game, which that's one of the only ones I have not played, but I It combines my two favorite things, The Legend of Zelda and Trains. Oh, God, I think I know. (laughs) I learned something. Uh, Now, in 1989, because the way video games worked back then is that kind of once a game was a hit, it was just kind of a perpetual hit, like... Uh, the generations didn't roll over as much. Games didn't come out as often. So, like, new fans were picking up The Legend of Zelda 1 and 2 every year. So it wasn't that crazy that in 1989, uh, as part of the Super Mario Super Show... Marcus, hit it! Hey, paisanos, <laughs> it's the Super Mario Brothers Super Show! <laughs> With the Mario Bros. coming a game, we're not like the others who get all the fame. Is this Kendrick Lamar? I think this is Kendrick Lamar. We gon' be all right. Hooked yeah. on the brothers. Yeah, brothers is a, is a metaphor for cocaine. <laughs> so the Super Mario Brothers Super Show was a... Uh, it's really fun, by the way. Marcus, describe what you're looking at right uh, now. I am watching a fat ex-wrestler <laughs> named Captain Lou Albano uh, and a skinny, possibly Italian man dressed as Luigi. Uh, they're running around in a cartoon looking real embarrassed. Oh, yeah. Uh, that uh, was a syndicated television show, uh, ran on Saturday mornings and I weekday mornings. Loved it. Uh, on and uh, on Fridays they would change up the schedule. While uh, instead of showing a cartoon in the Super Mario universe, they had a special. The Legend of Zelda cartoon. Yeah. It originally ran from September to December in 1989 for 13 episodes. And um, watching back on it, Link's like a complete total dick. 
Yeah, uh, obviously we were at the cusp of the 90s, and attitude was really important. He, he needed too. So, Marcus, I, I queued up a little thing for us. Um, uh, do you want to hit us with the link being a dickhead? This is him waking up in bed in the first episode. Another beautiful day in the magical kingdom of Hyrule. That's boring place. I used to roam the world, fighting monsters and sleeping in mud. A hero's life. Now look at me. Living in a castle, sleeping in a bed. Aren't I sweet? Ugh. Yeah. I'd like to know one good reason why I even stay here. Wait, this... Yeah, okay, this... so there's one good reason. This is him looking at Zelda. On a balcony. <gasps> looking good, princess. Especially from this angle. Ugh. <gasps> oh, yeah, it is super key that, the, like, this I series is really you rudimentary. And, oh, wait, uh, hold on, hold on. Uh-oh. Oh, he doesn't say... I thought he was going to say his tagline. Wait, wait, wait. Oops. Yes, I offended her royal prissiness. No. Uh-huh. No. Well, it, his big tagline is, when he, whenever he tries to get a kiss and she won't give it to him, he goes, Excuse me, princess. Uh, and by the way, when he wakes up from bed, he's pretty much just wearing a t-shirt and no pants. Yeah, it's gross. He's <laughs> called sucks. a tunic. It is Link's classic wardrobe. <laughs> yeah, but he's still supposed to wear pants. They, no, they didn't give him pants to like the mid-90s. <laughs> uh, yeah, Link was super thirsty. <laughs> Half the show is just him being like, come on, I just want to make out with the princess. Uh, and yeah, also Ganon was like, this horrifying, screechy 80s villain. Yeah, yeah, totally. Ganon was voiced by Lynn Carlson. He played, uh, his other roles were Burt Raccoon in The Raccoons and Quackpot on the TV series Dino Saucers. Zelda, voiced by Cynthia Preston, she played Janet in 1988's The Brain and Claire Lowe in a film called Whale Music. Great. And Link uh, was voiced by Jonathan Potts. His other works included the voice of Pighead in the show Pigsburg Pigs. <laughs> And Professor Lowe and Jason X, which I thought was pretty great. One of my favorite Jason movies. The uh, Legend of Zelda series, as well as the Super Mario Brothers Super Show, was produced by a little company called Deke. Okay. Uh, which uh, was known in yeah, animation Deke. circles uh, at the time for Do It Cheaper because <laughs> they were the only non-union animation production company oh. in Hollywood at that time, and which is also why they are solely responsible for like 100% of the cheap-ass toy tie-in cartoon series of that era. Gotcha. No shit. I remember Deke all over, like, everything. But more importantly, the uh, Super Show and this, even these 13 episodes were rerun so many, so many, so many times that it kept uh, the demand and the presence of Mario and Link as these, like, franchise-building superstar kids' characters for toys and cereals and all that stuff. So the demand for Legend of Zelda was super high, but they only had these two games. And uh, the reason is because they were working for three years to make uh, the newest entry in the series for the new system, uh, Legend of Zelda, A Link to the Past. Oh, shit! The good one. (laughs) Good one, man. Um, I mean, some consider this to be the greatest game of all time. Um, Definitely, it's, you know, arguable. Uh, I loved it. I remember when it came out, I was intense about, like, I was a Sega Genesis kid, and that was the game that made me so 
jealous of people who had Super Nintendo. I mean, Super Mario World as well, but um, man, did I want to play that game so bad. It just was everything I could ever want in a video game. Um, it was, of course, a prequel. It came out on November 21st of 1991 in Japan, 1992 in North America and Europe. Uh, it introduced some new things, uh, namely the Master Sword derived from Arthurian legend, uh, uh, the uh, legend of Excalibur and the Sword in the Stone and all that stuff. It also introduced the Light and Dark Worlds. Mm-hmm. And there was kind of an interesting thing about that. I think that was actually a memory-saving technique. Yes. Because they could overlay the dark world on top of the light world, and they could save a lot and, and, and add a lot more gameplay time to the game. The uh, cartridge was one of the was at the time the biggest one at like six megabits or something. Not mm. megabytes, megabits. There's a difference. But this was a huge-sized game. The staff was tripled from uh, Adventures of Link. Yes. Um, the music, Koji Kondo's score, which has this very like, like symphonic trumpets and Iconic. string, yeah, uh, uh, you know, it, that's that kind of gave it this epic uh, uh, feel to it. Took up like a sixth of the memory for the whole game. So yeah, the uh, tricks that they used with the Dark World act, yeah, saved them a bunch of memory. And I remember that too, though, as being. Like, I know that they had the sort of the the second quest in Legend of Zelda for Nintendo, mm. but I, I really remember fondly, like, I didn't know how the game was going to turn out when I played it. And I remember just beating the first three dungeons and getting to the, what I thought was going to be the you end got, Whoa, game. whoa, you got the pendants of courage? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got the fucking pendants. I rock and rolled it. I was like, man, I've already covered this map. I mean, this game is incredible. I love everything about it, but I can't believe I'm about to beat it. And then it's like, no, dude, you just became... Like an like essentially yeah. like you just fucking grew some hair in your balls. There's a whole there's seven more dungeons. Now the game starts and the in, final in a final that like yeah now the game just starts and that feeling of of that of that like kind of enclosed game and then the whole thing opening up mm-hmm. in such a huge way and adding this whole layer of this dark world was like mind blowing to me because I didn't see it coming. The opening is amazing because it kind of like within the first that five minutes yeah there's the storm there's uh, you're in the castle. You meet Zelda. Like you go all this stuff that sh- in previous games were like you know you saved it for the last hour of the game. Mm. You're like in the mix. This world all of a sudden becomes like real it, so quickly. It felt really alive and scary immediately. Like immediately you're fighting. Like you because you go from your house. It's raining. There's really nothing to do but go to the castle, find a secret entrance, j- dive in. Right, uh, go underground, and all of a sudden you're just like in a dungeon. And you're like, what? I'm in the castle. Yeah, exactly, right? And um and it felt like it gave you the sense of that brave explorer that's really new and scared and and you know and and it's it's challenging that opening part I played it recently it's actually you know uh, I was playing I was showing it to Lexi and uh, she was like dying in that first area you know and not just because she's fucking terrible at video games <laughs> uh, it also laid out the uh, th- which is something that we we kind of glossed over but what the original Zelda did well is that uh, a lot besides the exploration and combat, the dungeons and the puzzles and kind of being plopped into a space and seeing the tools you have and seeing the surroundings around you and having to solve each puzzle individually to keep progressing. And it uh, Legend of Zelda especially hits what a lot of people call the flow state, mm. where like you're never like really punching the wall in frustration, but it's always keeping you busy. You're always taking in new information and processing it and solving uh, and, and solving the puzzles. So, you know, you're, you're, you have to, like, hit the switch and it raises the water level. You have to, you know, light the lanterns and, and do all the things. And it 
do all the things. That's, do all the things and the stuff. Me. Uh, <laughs> so the game moves at it. They're adding new tools and new puzzles and new mechanics at such a nice, steady curve that it's the whole thing is is pleasant. Yeah, absolutely. And my favorite character, Sarsarsarsa, is there. <laughs> Sarsarsarsar. Sarsarsarsarsa. <laughs> Old man Sarsarsarsa. <laughs> and then uh, in Japan, uh, it was called, the subtitle was The Triforce of the Gods, but they changed it to Link the Past. And actually, there's a reason behind that. They removed all of the religious stuff from the game in Japan, they actually... Uh, in America. It, 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 oh, when it came to America, yeah. Because oh, yeah. Nintendo of America has weird policies about like having religious things in their games. So the priest, uh, Aganim, he was changed to a wizard. Um, there's all this like religious imagery like in the sanctuary that they removed. Um uh, yeah, it was it was really bizarre. They they stripped it of all this kind of religious stuff that it originally had, and also Triforce of the Gods, killer name, dude. Mm. Link to the Past, great name, so yeah. fine, but Triforce uh, of the Gods. in a lot of ways, like uh, the 3D games, like uh, Ocarina of Time and Wind Waker, are basically just 3D versions of a Link to the Past because uh, there's like you know finding the dungeon item in the dungeon and then using that to solve the leftover areas and beating the boss, uh, throw pots, just pots in general, uh, bottles, the bottle system, which was like in every game and is super fun because it's this fun bonus reward that makes the game easier. Uh, so it's not cheap when you like just slam fairies like there were so many whiskey shots. I love slamming fairies. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, I brought it back. Penis, penis. <laughs> it also holds one of the coolest Easter eggs in the game because it wasn't discovered till a decade later. Again, running theme of this episode and what makes Zelda so great as a franchise are the many, many secrets hidden within it. Uh, there is a hidden room. Nintendo Power ran a contest. I suggest anybody to look up this video at home of, of going to this secret room. The winner got to appear in the game. It was a very hidden room containing 45 blue rupees and a note that read, my name is Chris Houlihan. This is my top secret room. Keep it between us, okay? It was found through five different methods. It was actually a, a room that was a crash prevention measure. Uh, so you had to do a bunch of weird manipulation in the game to even just end up popping into this room secretively. And it's something they didn't find till years and years later. Um, it, it would essentially send you to the room if the game itself couldn't determine where Link was going when he goes into another area. So you had to, yeah, look this video up. It's awesome. I thought it was just a weird thing from like a Nintendo Power contest. It was, but they, the way they implemented it was so bizarre. Like you had to, you have to do some weird manipulation just to get in there. Weird. Yeah, it's really bizarre, and it's kind of known as one of the greatest Easter eggs, like in a, in a video game, especially because of how strange it is to even find the damn room. Uh, and Chris Houlihan, by the way, of course, of course, Chris Houlihan won the contest. That is such a <laughs> that kid sucks too. You can tell. You know, you can just name your character Chris Who, and like that's just good. <laughs> a couple things Miyamoto's. <laughs> A couple of things Miyamoto said about uh, development in Nintendo um, before we get to the shitty garbage that is the 3DI games. Mm. Miyamoto said at Nintendo, we don't spend a long time or have a lot of employees working on the development of a single game. We start by having a few people developing a title which lasts about a year. Then we add some more staff who spend about eight months putting in the final touches. During development, I worked so hard that people asked me, what are you going to do when your body gives out since you never go home? But I always ensured that I get eight hours of sleep a day so my brain doesn't get tired sounds like a real workhorse jake 
I mean, anyone who can sleep eight hours and still put out uh, several classic gaming franchises is a disappointment to the Japanese people. (laughs) (laughs) But that other uh, comment he made about keeping the employees low, I think, again, it just goes to show the Nintendo model for why games like Super Mario and Zelda are so fantastic and so just uh, tight and great, such tight, great experiences. They're very personal, Mm -hmm. small teams doing very, with a lot of love, making these things. And I think that that, uh, again, is is uh, kind of the moral of the story with the Zelda games and a lot of the other works that we talk about in this whole Wizard and the Bruiser series is is make it personal, make it make it a, a tight-knit group, make it uh, a people that have, have an intense work ethic, and some amazing shit will come out of it. So we should probably do an episode on, like, Michael Bay's Transformers 2 just yeah. to show what happens just, when it's... Throw money at it! More <laughs> pe- I don't know! Fuck! So, what, like every... Uh, Reshoots! Re- Rewrites. I don't go. <laughs> so with every link, there is a dark link. Uh, for uh, the whole Zelda franchise, there is, of course, uh, the alternative. Uh, the the uh, long, uh, long have people tried to sweep this under the rug. But the CDI games, Link, the Faces of Evil, and Zelda, the Wand of Gamelon. The Wand of Gamelon. And a third one, Zelda's Adventure, which yes. was from a different developer. Yes. But also it was garbage. also shit. And so what made these two initial games so terrible was that they were both made at the same time with a budget of $600,000, which was very low. Don't worry, though. They hired a shady Russian animation (laughs) publishing house to handle all the work. (laughs) Yes, they hired some Russians to make the cuts. Animation Magic, who also did the PC game I Am Mean. And uh, the sole thing that all these games have in common is just a terrifying animation style where, like... I mean, if you've been on YouTube long enough, you've seen uh, the YouTube poops for all the CDI Zelda games. Absolutely. Uh, the characters are grotesque and always, like, moving in these bizarre... It's in these bizarre poses. Well, I guess, should we get a little... Let's get a little yeah. audio on that if we can, Marcus. Gee, it sure is boring around here. That's Link. My boy, this piece is what all true warriors strive for. I just wonder what Ganon's up to. <laughs> Your Majesty, Ganon and his minions have seized the island of Korodai. All right, yeah. Mickey, okay, that's enough of that. <laughs> so, <laughs> do some Russian roulette, just see where it comes in. Yeah, yeah, let's... Find my house. Now you will see the sand crumies that prevent your approach to Ganon. Go with many blessings. Oh, right. It's bad. No, it's bad. you must die. <laughs> it's bad. <laughs> one more, let's get one more random one here. Little Russian roulette with the. Dare defy me? <laughs> you will die. Guess again, Iron Knuckle. That's, uh, that's, <laughs> the, that's the worst part of all of these things is um, between the uh, between the animated series and these animated cutscenes is they keep using the names of these enemies that were clearly like just for internal use only and like for the instruction manual. Yeah. But all these. All these poor voice actors had to be like, watch out, it's a Dodongo. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and so how the hell did this come to pass? Well, I'll quickly, briefly explain uh, to this, you we, how the fuck this happened. To tell the story happened. of this, you have to tell the story of all the video games. Of the Nintendo PlayStation? Oh. Yeah, I definitely need to tell the story of that. In 1989, Nintendo signed a deal with Sony to begin development of a CD-ROM-based system, which would eventually, on Sony's end, become the PlayStation. But it was originally known as the Nintendo PlayStation, which, by the way, you can look this up, Sometime, I think it was last year or the year before, somebody actually found a dev kit 
Nintendo PlayStation and was able to uh, uh, like mess with it a little bit. Um, but it looks crazy. It's like it's like a weird Nintendo version of the PlayStation. Um, anyways, uh, or or the SNES CD as it would possibly be called as an add-on to the Super Nintendo, just like the Sega CD was an add-on to the Sega Genesis. Um, so it was going to be there to enable FMV and and bigger games. Well, Nintendo ended up breaking the agreement and ended up cheating on Sony with Philips. They got together. They signed a deal. Then, when the Sega Sega Mega CD fell apart, was a total disaster, which is something we'll probably get into at some point in this series. If we haven't, we did a little bit with Sonic. Um, the, they they scrapped the idea completely, broke their agreement with Sony, but or with Philips rather. But when that agreement dissolved, Philips gained the rights to create games with using um, characters. Zelda characters for the CDI specifically. And also there's the Mario Hotel. Hotel right? Mario. Hotel Mario, which is also a I think a that's trash part of the fire. deal is that, like, because they could only use the characters but not the gameplay. Yeah, <laughs> like- so... Laggy controls, the terrible cutscenes that we talked about. The the dev team was three programmers. They had one musician and one freelance writer. Dale De- DeSharon was the director. There's actually an interview you can find online with a guy that's essentially just sitting down with them to ask what the fuck happened. Um, and he said it was just obviously not a game system. And Phillips mm-hmm. was actually very clear in telling us that they didn't believe the market for this device was games. That is talking about the 3DI. There was a subtle hostility. Uh, CDI, sorry. 3D- 3DO, CDI, both terrible dumpster fires of consoles. Mm-hmm. They there was a subtle honesty, uh, uh, there was a subtle hostility, rather he said, towards games that I noticed from the upper echelon of execs. So and and then the only thing that that this this thing was supposed to kind of not be. It was the worst of all the worlds. It was trying to kind of be a computer, kind of be a, a, a DVD, a player. DVD, CD player, and kind of be a video game console. And it just wasn't quite enough of any of those things. So it was just kind of total trash. And then the people, uh, the higher ups. They were like, oh, we'll make some games for it, but it's really more for these other things. And it ended up being only being sold as a game system, essentially. Like, people were only buying it to play these trash games on. Um, and it was actually – they were reviewed reasonably and now uh, at the time, and now they go down in infamy as, as some of the worst games ever made. Ever made. It's truly horrifying. I, I have, like, vague memories of, like, running through an electronics store as a baby, like like a – tiny child being like oh my god cdi zelda the thing i love but better (laughs) and just like feeling true disappointments (laughs) uh but Uh, 1993 wasn't a wash yes because on the game boy link's awakening came out one of my favorite zelda games of all time link's awakening i i I remember my i could beat it in a in a in a trip to the beach which was three or four hours i believe Mm -hmm. i was like that i was speed running that game i loved it so goddamn much by zooming in the camera a bunch you could they kept basically the level of graphics from the super nintendo but on the game boy screen and the the game had a sense of humor about it it had this kind of easygoing like kind of free-for-all because the whole game takes place within link's dream except then it turns out it's not the dream of link it's the dream of the wind fish. I love it. Hold <laughs> uh, on, what noise does a wind fish make? Yeah! <laughs> there was just this big fucker egg at the top of the island. You want a party? And it had to Let's be a party. song. And 
on the on the whole way you meet all these like new interesting characters and they have this very like fun referential kind of in jokes about previous Nintendo franchises. One of my favorite fucking things in a Zelda game of all time was how you could actually shoplift in the store. Yes. And if you and then- got away with it, all the characters knew you did it and would call you they would stop calling you by the name you programmed yourself with and you would be thief. Yes, and the guy would straight up murder you. If oh, he you, would you, murk you so bad. When you walk back in the store. Sometimes yeah. in RPGs, I will name my character Thief just from like familiarity mm-hmm. from old uh, Link's <laughs> Awakening slave files. Ah, oh, so good. And uh, when you finally gathered all the instruments and were able to, like, because the whole time you're like, what the fuck is this windfish thing? It's like the what actually emerges is so freaky and weird <laughs> that it's like one of the best payoffs in all of gaming. It just ha- looks like it has no right to be in a Zelda game. Yeah. And it's so good. Oh, man. Oh, also, oh, yeah, that thing. Also, maybe <laughs> all the characters you met are wished out of ex- existence. Yeah, it's like a fucked up ending, I, I remember. It was kind of a weird, dark... Uh... No, all those people you grew to love and trust are gone now forever. Yeah, completely. Oh, man, I just remember that was so great, and the, the trading mechanic in that game, the whole side, the, the overlying side quest to get the, like, big awesome sword was amazing in that game and the puzzles and everything were were just phenomenal um anything that lets you use the pegasus boots on the go is all right in my book one of the greatest uh games easily one of the greatest games on the game boy and uh that's saying a lot uh and that that, that's kind of zelda's thing right it's one of the greatest it's like the greatest title on every you know nintendo console generally for most nintendo games i mean for most uh nintendo systems zelda is the is the game that the people who made the actual system get to like try out they get to like kick the tires and see the possibilities of what can be done and not to date this podcast too much but soon we'll be doing that with the uh, switch and uh breath of the wild that's fucking switch is sold out so fast you better pre- <sighs> i don't know what voodoo magic gets you free nintendo consoles <laughs> but you better hope it works i got a wii u so i think i'll just play it on that personally uh, um oh, so yeah. apparently that it's not that big of a difference um in terms of how it runs, so thank Lord on that. Um, and uh, yeah, if you're looking for a newer version of uh, Link to the Past and uh, the old school kind of Zelda type, I highly, highly recommend on the Nintendo DS or 3DS uh, Link Between Worlds. Link Between Worlds, woo! That's close to a perfect game Holy as I've played in a good long while. Lee shit, that game, exactly what you just said, Jake. So it, it is nigh on perfect. Uh, but uh, we'll get to that next week. Oh, shit. That's right. It's the next two-parter. <laughs> hey, so, yeah, do we we'll have do opinions well. about Ocarina of Time and vaginas? <laughs> Hell yeah, we do. <laughs> I don't know about the vaginas thing, but I definitely I that- think they're fine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, right, yes. This one was penis-themed, vagina-themed for the other one, of course. Oracle of penises, Oracle <laughs> of vaginas. <laughs> Um, and then we'll also have a bonus episode where we just curse the water temple. <laughs> uh, well, anyways, uh, that's our episode on Zelda, the early years. Um, thank you so much. Please, of course, as always, if you can, if you haven't already, or just make up a new iTunes account and rate and review mm-hmm. our motherfucking podcast. Uh, we really appreciate it. Jake and I don't constantly look at the charts. We have other things to do. We're not always looking at them and seeing how the numbers work. The numbers! <laughs> 
Jake and I sometimes just call each other up and scream the word numbers at each other is what I'm trying to 17. say 17 we're at 17 we released a new episode so there's a bit of a bump <laughs> um, but thank you so much everybody for listening we really appreciate it come check me out on Twitch Monday nights from 9 to 11 Holdenators Ho I'm also Holdenators Ho on Twitter and you can catch me as the Rev Man on Cars and Gears uh, the, the new website I'm building oh you got really excited real fast uh, Cars and on- Gears dot Com? Dot Revman. <laughs> ooh, it's, ooh, no. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Best Jake Young. And if you liked us uh, joking about The Legend of Zelda, uh, we just did a Legend of Zelda episode of uh, the Drawfee channel. Awesome. So uh, go to YouTube, look up the Drawfee channel, and look for uh, Bad Zelda knockoffs where me and some very talented artists uh, try and recreate The Legend of Zelda uh, but not get sued. <laughs> What's up with that shirt, too? That, uh, the Beauty and the Beast shirt? Oh, oh, I pitched uh, I pitched a shirt idea to BustedTees.com, and if enough people buy it, I get money, I think. Dude, fuck yeah, so go uh, buy that shirt. What's the Beast Mode, right? Beast Mode activated with the little rose from Beauty and the Beast. Yeah, it's yeah. a mash-em-up. It's a cool shirt. Uh, all right, thank you so much, guys. Have a good one. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to CaveComedyRadio.com. you can start your day off right. When you find a professional on Angie to get your plumbing right first. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that.